Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Aaron Mack. Today we're speaking about Israeli Prime Minister, new Prime Minister, also continuation of our videos that we had in the last podcast. We have a lot to talk about. Um, and yeah, so let's get to it. And our song of the show is today we will play a song of the day so we will say we'll have that too loud having a whole lot of fun Hello everybody, welcome to the podcast. <clears throat> welcome to the podcast. My name is Art Mac. Today is Sunday, June thirteenth. Um what's going on today? What is going on today? We have a lot to talk about. Um regarding Israel politics, American politics. So Hope y'all um, sit back and relax and either sit back and relax or even driving um, to this because um, we have a lot. Let's first get to the Israeli pop. Why not? All right. Netanyahu is ousted. Israeli government um, wins. Um, wins the ending Netanyahu's uh, prime minister after tw- 15 years of Netanyahu. <clears throat> Israeli prime minister ended on Sunday. The parliament of the new government to change the le- le- by new government led by Naftali Bennett. The uh, blue and white, not the blue and white, um, the right wing party. Heading into the opposition, Netanyahu's 71 um, most dominant Israeli politician of his generation pledged would he would soon return to power. In a recession in which Netanyahu's right wing ultra orthodox supporters shouted shame liar at Bennett. Parliament vote, voted confidence in his administration, a razor-thin 60-59 to 59 majority. A former defense minister, a high-tech milliner, Bennett, 49, was, was due to be sworn in <clears throat> shortly after the vote. His alliance includes, um, for the first time, in Israel's history, a party represents 21% Arab minority, with a little common, except for a desire to end Netanyahu's era 
um, political impetus that led for inclusive um, inclusive elections. Four elections in the past two years. The coalition of the left-wing party, centrist, right-wing, and Arab parties are likely fragile. <clears throat> Israel's largest serving leader, Netanyahu, Prime Minister since 2009, at first term from 1996 to 1999. He was weakened by the repeated failure, clinch victory, in the polls since 2019, by an ongoing corruption trial in which he has denied wrongdoing. Under coalition deal, Bennett will be replaced by Prime Minister Netanyahu, centrist by centrist Yair Lapid, 57 in 2023. The new government formed after an in, after election on March 23rd. Plans largely to avoid sweeping moves, hot but hot um button international issues such as policy towards the Palestinians and to focus on domestic reforms. Palestinians were unmoved by the change of the administration, predicting that Bennett would pursue some right-wing agenda as Netanyahu. Under a coalition deal, Bennett will be replaced as Prime Minister by centrist Yael Lapid in 2023. That's the Israeli news. Meanwhile, <laughs> he said, um, Netanyahu, ongoing Prime Minister. <laughs> reportedly accused Prime Minister President Joe Biden endangering Israel's security by taking a soft line on Iran. He also compared Biden's Iran policy to refusal of the U.S. to bomb the Auschwitz concentration camps in 1944. Netanyahu said that the Biden administration had asked him to keep the Disagreements on Iran private Astuous reported, but he refused to do so. Line on Iran over smooth relations with of the United States. The Prime Minister um made a lot of stuff. So that's the Israeli news. Great man. We'll see what, how long can Naftali Bennett and, um, Yair Lapid can be in office for. Because if one disagrees on one thing, and one thing only, that can lead to an election. So, yeah. Let's go to our videos.
with Jack Chardielli. The race for Governor of New Jersey is taking shape. Mm. Former Assemblyman Jack Chitterelli. I've got to learn how to say that because I'm going to be saying it until November for sure and maybe beyond. Chitterelli. Chitterelli, Chitterelli. Uh, Jack is projected winner in the Republican primary. He's expected to, well, I know he will, if he wins, and it looks like he has, uh, he will take on Governor Phil Murphy in November. In fact, it's November 2nd, to be exact. I bet it's a Tuesday. <laughs> yep. All, all 120 seats in the state legislature, by the way, are also on the ballot. That's a lot. Bruce Gordon, I guess we needed to get to know Jack Chitterelli. Uh, let me start out by saying it's a little more like Chatterelli. Oh, uh, no! Oh, my God! Chatterelli and Chatterelli. It's uh, Chat? It's, it's, it's more like Chatterelli. Uh, kind of a mix between Chatterelli and Chatterelli. Uh, Chatterelli. Uh, yeah. I, we'll I get wanted it to make right. sure that Jack, uh, though, right? we were all on the same page. Yes, Chat. <laughs> that's the easy part. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Who is he? Well, he's a former uh, state legislator, former assemblyman, uh, a successful businessman, uh, created and then ultimately sold two businesses. Look, he was always going to be the front runner sure. in this primary race. Uh, and it was a big victory by some measures. Uh, but there's some ominous signs there, I have to say. Uh, Charlie was a guy who kept a little bit of an arm's length distance between himself and President Trump, former sure. President Donald Trump. Uh, it's so much so that some were calling him a rhino, Republican in name only. Mm -hmm. Phil Rizzo and Sanger Hirsch, who finished second and third respectively, were much more uh, Trump Republicans, if you will. And interestingly, their vote total combined just about exactly equal his, which suggests yeah. that there is indeed a real split in the Republican Party between the Trump faction, even in a blue state like New Jersey, the yeah. Trump faction and more traditional Republicans. So, so I'm, generally I'm, wins, but there's a lot of Trump voters out there yeah. saying, mm, I'm not sure I'm behind uh, I'm trying to think, but when was the last time a, well, any governor got reelected? Especially a Democrat. Well, well, yeah, for Democrats, it's the actual last time a Democrat was reelected in New Jersey, despite all the talk we do about uh, the blue state of New right. Jersey, and that's certainly the case in Republican in uh, presidential circles. Brendan Byrne, 1977, wow. was the last time a wow. Democrat was actually reelected. There have been more Republican years yeah. in office than Democrats over the last 40 years. Florio lost in 93. Of course, John Corzine in 09. So, uh, yeah, this is not uh, a slam dunk for Phil Murphy by any means. But how is his approval ratings right now, Governor Murphy's? Well, interesting. Good, but have mm -hmm. been better. 57% uh, job approval in a Monmouth poll from last month. But that's down from 71% at the very beginning of the pandemic. So he has taken a hit. And justifiably so in the eyes of many, a very high death rate in uh, New Jersey uh, and some fairly draconian measures in terms of shutting down the economy. Now, there was a Rutgers-Eagleton poll just out yesterday showing Murphy with a 26-point lead yeah. over Cheverelli, who was the assumed winner even yesterday. So it's going to take a, a complete all-hands-on-deck for the GOP to have any shot against Murphy. Uh, and again, I'm a little... I'm kind of keeping my eye on that Trump versus traditional Republican uh, sentiment there to see if generally can get all of the Republicans yeah. together to have any shot at this. I know Governor Murphy has this advertising blitz for the last two or three weeks, you know, about how New Jersey's turned mm -hmm. itself around as far as the pandemic. Bruce, thank yeah. you. We'll see you probably down the road. You got it. In roughly three weeks, New Jersey has changed its status from not there yet to under review. 
when it comes to creating an app to digitize your vaccine card. New York State has already done it, partnering with IBM Watson Health to create Excelsior. We're considering our options, right? It's good that we can digitize your vaccination, but to then use that, that, that gets you into something when we're still not where we need to be on equity concerns me. Um, and and, and it, even not intentionally to be discriminatory. But are we considering technology um, uh, and digitizing this system? The answer is emphatically yes. Several systems are under review right now to make consumer access to their immunization record for COVID-19 uh, more accessible. Um, so more to come on that. Private companies are one step ahead. Atlantic Health System has partnered with Clear to give any of their patients who are vaccinated in New Jersey a way to get a digital vaccine card. So you can go to our website, atlantichealth.org slash vaccine card. We explain um, the vaccine card program. Easy access for our patients to get access to their record and be able to share it and just have peace of mind of having it on their phone. Chief Digital Innovation Officer Benjamin Maizano explains anyone with a smartphone can scan the QR code to certify its validation. A green check will appear on the screen, a reliable tool for businesses looking to open back up, since vaccination cards are easily forgeable. This technology gives companies the comfort of a reliable source, whether it's a healthcare network or a state app like in New York. Both doses, a certified record, we can verify that and really they're able to share that also with our partner clear for places you actually need to maybe use it for convenience of, of access whether that's large stadiums or airports or travel um they're aided in those locations so you can kind of show it to someone easily on your phone but if you want to kind of scan that qr code to streamline access that's what that partnership's about as for data privacy it's our secure system it, it, it's very secure and we've partnered with one of the leading secure players. They're, they're literally in airports. In this case, you're only sharing your COVID-19 vaccination record. Anytime technology can provide um, ease of access and convenience, uh, you know, we certainly welcome those opportunities. New Jersey Business and Industry Association President and CEO Michelle Sakurka says there are about 33% less small businesses in the state than there were in January of 2020. While the technology might be a step in the right direction, she says, it's not the priority. I think the number one priority right now is we need our workers back and we need them back right now. Businesses need to figure it out and, and, and that's not really what we're about. We just want to make sure Atlantic is giving people their data. We see over a million patients a year and we've given over half a million vaccinations out. And it's about the consumer being empowered to have their data and share it with who they want. Maizano says this is just the beginning of what's possible. Today it's your vaccination record. Tomorrow it could be your medication and medical history to share with a, a different doctor. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Leah Mishkin. I don't like the idea. We'll talk about it in a minute. All right, regarding <clears throat> vaccine and Chattiali. I'm totally against vaccine cards. Vaccine passports, that's what I meant. Vaccine passports. I'm totally against it because you can, someone can hack into your system and um, it's, it's really stupid what they're trying to do um, to everybody because once you're vaccinated, you don't need anything. I have a vaccine card. I can prove that I'm vaccinated. 
to people. And I don't need this passport BS stuff to show um, somebody that's going to hack into my system. Just another way of the woke left to show that they're in charge. That's the world. Remember this? Mornings just got brighter. Not that. Shortages of police officers and record numbers. Cops are leaving liberal cities or leaving policing altogether due to the Democrats defund the police and their anti-cop rhetoric movements. Joining me now, former Bellevue, Idaho Deputy Marshal Nate Sylvester. Also with us tonight is the Sheriff of Pinal County, Arizona, Sheriff Mark Lamb. Gentlemen, a pleasure to have you both. Nate, I'm going to start with you. We're going to get to your story here in a minute, but since George Floyd's defunding their police departments, prominent socialist celebrities and politicians bashing the cops and ignoring or going soft on criminals. I'm hearing it's much, much worse out there than a lot of people know. What can you tell the folks? Uh, well, it is a lot much, it's much, much worse uh, than people actually know. And the good news is that we're actually seeing some uh, some pushback from citizens in a lot of these communities where they have um, pushed these defund the police efforts. Crime rates are spiking like we knew that they would. And uh, <coughs> citizens in these communities are, are happy about it and for a very good reason. And they're starting to file lawsuits against the uh, elected officials in these municipalities that have pushed these defund the police efforts. Now, Sheriff Lamb, you've uh, also dealt with a lot in Arizona. Officers seem to have their hands tied when it comes to doing their jobs, especially in the middle of riots out there. Three officers in Ohio facing criminal charges over allegedly using improper force against what the media calls protesters. With Democrats ready to stab officers in the back, is it any wonder that they're leaving the force in droves? No, not at all. And some of these cities are really going to struggle to find police. Look, it's hard in Arizona, and we, we support our law enforcement in Arizona. In my county, people are very pro-law enforcement. But what you're seeing across this country is making it difficult for all of us to hire. Um, and as long as they keep pushing this, if they can't get the defund narrative through, what they're doing is they're going after people, the, uh, cops for doing their job. What you have in Ohio is guys that did their job, and I don't know all the details, but it looks like they're circumventing the county attorneys and filing charges through special uh, prosecutors and special investigators, which that's not going to help this uh, this profession. Indeed, it's not. It's only going to help the criminals. Now, Nate, you were fired from your job back on May 27th in part to this TikTok video you posted. Watch. LeBron, hey, you got to me again. Listen, I'm out here at this disturbance call, and there's a guy trying to stab another guy with a knife. What do you think I should do? Why does that matter? Okay, uh, well, they're both black. One guy's trying to stab another guy with a knife. Deadly force is completely justified. Uh-huh. I see. So you don't care if a black person kills another black person, but you do care if a white cop kills a black person, even if he's doing it to save the life of another black person? I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but then again, you are really good at basketball, so I guess I'll take your word for it. All right. Yep. Okay. All right. Thanks, LeBron. Uh, Michael Jordan's the GOAT. What? Nothing. I gotta go. Sorry, guys. You're on your own. Good luck. Oh, man, that was brilliant. Now, you were mocking commie lover LeBron James, and you were also defending your brothers in blue, a man who saved one or two black lives by shooting a knife-wielding black girl. Why did they fire you? 
Well, I, I was policing in a very liberal area, uh, the city of Bellevue, Idaho. The mayor and city council members are registered Democrats, and they, they buy into this this radicalism that's being pushed by the left, and especially the the anti-police narrative. They're buying into it totally, and so when that LeBron James video uh, went viral, they weren't happy about it. They they learned that my political beliefs don't align with theirs, and they wanted me gone. Wow. Sheriff Lamb, you've had time to see Nate's story, as officers have all over this country. Now, if you were in charge in Bellevue, Idaho, would you have... Would you have also let Deputy Marshal Nate Sylvester go? And would you have any reservations about serving with him in a law enforcement capacity? No, not at all. And I'm not smiling because you got let go, Nate. I'm smiling because that was a classic TikTok video. Uh, and Nate was speaking truth. You know, too many agencies across this country are afraid of the cancel culture. They're afraid to, to let their, their people speak truth. Um, we respect the First Amendment, even with our employees. All we ask is they don't do anything to disparage the badge or anything illegal, immoral, or unethical. And I didn't see anything there that uh, would qualify as that. So we're hiring, Nate. Come on down. We respect police uh, in Arizona, especially in Pinal County. And we're always looking for guys who aren't afraid to go out and do their job. It took guts what, Nate's did, what Nate did. Kudos to you. It was funny than heck. Oh, thanks, uh, damn. Thank you, gentlemen. Sheriff Mark Lamb, Nate Sylvester, guys, thank you for the service to the communities when liberals will let you do it. Appreciate it. Hey, I'm Rob. So that's the latest. We don't know the uh, latest on Nate if he accepts the job, but we'll hear more on Nate Sylvester. Man, oh man, that great guy. This, a student saying this. PayPal and Venmo touch free payments. Um, but... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under Allah, indivisible. You heard that? I'll play it again. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under Allah, indivisible, and with liberty and justice for all. That's unbelievable. It's ridiculous. Well, the high school is issuing a response saying the school division did not endorse nor pre-approve the change in wording to the Pledge of Allegiance at the Justice High School graduation ceremony. Let's bring in our panel for their reaction, including member of Project 21 and host of Money Talk with Melanie Collette. So, why would somebody would say that? Sounds like a crazy leftist-minded kid who just basically who is brainwashed and basically saying I'm gonna do this for um I'm it's my religion it's my country I believe whatever I believe that's one thing and then you have the other side you Injustice for Allah. How stupid is that? How stupid? How stupid? It's really stupid because... Our country... Is... You... When you... I'll play... I'll play the, um... Clip by... Um... 
trying to find it from Michael Knowles. <clears throat> if they have it. Um, no, but what I'm trying to say is that a person should never bring God or religion in a um, pledge allegiance. The reason why is because it's really stupid. You see, God and religion and politics is never, never goes because it's just stupid, just stupid. It's really stupid. Next, guess who goes? Guess who's back from CNN? Back to CNN. The land, water, and army. Jeffrey Tubin. Here's Matt Walsh speaking about him. I'm afraid, and it's not appropriate for. Ch this is really what we have to start with. I'm afraid, and it's not appropriate for children or, or for anyone, frankly. But Jeffrey Tubin, CNN legal analyst, obviously, as you know, um, showed his tube during a Zoom call with colleagues a few months ago. In fact. You know, he was—he didn't just show it. He was—he uh, was, you know, handling the situation, so to speak, right there in front of everybody on the Zoom call, and uh, it really kind of rubbed everyone the wrong way, as you might imagine. And he was fired for it, or not fired. You—you you think that you would be fired for that? Masturbating, you know, workplace masturbation—the kind of thing that you would think would get you fired, especially in the Me Too era. Well, that's not what happened because he's back now. He was back on CNN yesterday, and they, for some reason, decided to, on TV, have a conversation about Tubin's masturbatory habits. And they brought a woman in, Allison Camerata, to have this discussion. This is, I think, the most cringe-inducing thing to ever air on cable news. I mean, it's oh, I actually have not seen this entire video yet. Because I can't get past 15 seconds. <laughs> so, it, the cringe is overwhelming. It's nuclear-grade cringe. This is a cringe comet. Um, an absolute volcano. An explosion of cringe. Well, I'm going to stop on that. I'm not going to go any further with that analogy. Anyway, let's, uh, let's try. We're just going to try to watch this and see how far we can make it. Let's go ahead here. In October... You were on a Zoom call with your colleagues from the New Yorker magazine. Everyone took a break for several minutes, during which time you were caught masturbating on camera. Okay, stop. Can you stop? <laughs> I, can't, I can't go any further. Why are they doing this? And why is he sitting there? I'm asking why rhetorically. I know all the answers to my question. But still, why is he sitting there enduring this embarrassment? I know he wants his job back and everything, but he's been... How old is this guy? He's probably in his 60s now. He's been on TV a long time. Doesn't he have money saved up? What? So basically, I don't really like to play Tubins. Basically, he's back. And he's crazy. Anyways. That's ridiculous stuff. Let's play Elon Omar back in the news. And Rashad Tlaib at AOC. Uh, basically the Hamas people. Here we go. 
We have to play a uh, ad soon, right? Oh, it's so difficult to be Ilhan Omar. It's so difficult. People notice. Oh, it's so difficult to be Ilhan Omar. It's so difficult. People notice that Ilhan Omar hates Jews, and then they said it. They noticed that she equated the United States and the Taliban, and then they pointed that out. By the time you're getting to like six, seven, eight, nine anti-Semitic statements, people start to go, hey, maybe we shouldn't give this person the benefit of the doubt. It was a week in which there were many days ending in Y. And because it was a week in which there are many days ending in Y, one of those days undoubtedly would feature Ilhan Omar saying something anti-Semitic and or anti-American because that's what Ilhan Omar does for a living. The representative from Minnesota is very often anti-American in her rhetoric. She is frequently anti-Semitic in her rhetoric. And she receives essentially zero blowback from the Democratic leadership. Well, things got awkward this week because a few of the Jewish Democrats in the House decided that they wanted to put out some mild criticism of Ilhan Omar after she tweeted out the following. Here's what she tweeted, quote, We must have the same level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity. We have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. I asked Secretary Tony Blinken where people are supposed to go for justice. So this is her in a tweet equating the United States, Hamas, you know, like a terrorist group that hides rockets behind children and that hides tunnels underneath hospitals and under schools, and Israel, and the Taliban, you know, one of the most evil groups on the planet, uh, a group of people who literally try to murder young schoolgirls if they go to school. And so that is Ilhan Omar doing yeoman's work on behalf of terrorist rhetoric everywhere. And this is what she does. I mean, she's been doing this her entire career. She's been doing this since she entered politics. And this is a woman who once wrote a letter to a judge recommending less harsh jail time for a person trying to join ISIS. Because obviously American society was so terrible and horrible that it drove people towards these sorts of activities. I mean, Ilhan Omar is a disaster area. She's been a disaster area for a very long time. And yet every time she says one of these things, and she's said it over and over, right, the Jews are hypnotizing the world, or that it's all about the Benjamins, or that Israel and Hamas are exactly the same, or even worse, that it's actually perpetuating terrorism. You know, when Ilhan Omar does this sort of stuff, the usual democratic response is to simply whistle and walk away. Now, there's been a growing anti-Semitism problem inside the Democratic Party for quite a while now. And this is perfectly obvious from the fact that half the CBC, half the Congressional Black Caucus, has met with Louis Farrakhan. And it is perfectly obvious from the fact that AOC met with radical anti-Semite Jeremy Corbyn and then tweeted it out. And then when she was caught, she said, oh, yeah, I'll have a listening session with members of the Jewish community. Never happened. Right. Rashida Tlaib openly associates with people who are complete abolitionists about the state of Israel, would like to see Israel wiped from the map. In fact, on a map in her office when she originally took office, she had a post-it on the map that, that where Israel was, the post-it said Palestine and pointed an arrow directly at Israel, which is a genocidal point of view with regard to the state of Israel. Rashida Tlaib didn't like the Jews very much. Ilhan Omar, same sort of deal. And every time this sort of stuff comes up, the Democratic Party edges right up to criticizing and then they realize, oh, wait a second, these women, they're, they're Muslim and, and they seem brown. And that means that if we criticize them, then we have violated our own intersectional protocols. Now, this blew up into sort of ugly view for the Democrats yesterday because a bunch of House Democrats, all Jewish, put out a statement quasi-condemning Ilhan Omar. And just kind of quasi-edging up to it. Always they edge up to it. Now, on the aisle, when Marjorie Taylor Greene was talking about Jewish... What are earthquakes on Mars called? Every major Republican came out and said this is crazy and unacceptable. Okay, when, when, the, when Steve King said stuff that was racist, okay, the entire Republican Party stripped him of his committees and then primaried him. 
Inside the Democratic Party, you can hobnob with Louis Farrakhan, you can hang out with terror supporters like Razmia Oda, you can hang out with Linda Sarsour and do campaigning with her, you can hang out with Jeremy Corbyn, you can say openly anti-Semitic crap, and the best they're going to do is maybe they will mildly criticize. Now, one of the things that's really disturbing about this particular criticism is that it came only from the Jewish members of Congress who are Democrats, right? And it was only 12 of them. There are 25 Jewish Democrats in Congress. Only 12 of them signed this joint statement, and it is really, really weak tea. But the fact that only Jews were willing to sign on to the statement demonstrates that anti-Semitism is treated unlike any other form of vicious hatred inside the halls of Democratic power. If somebody in the Democratic Party had said something racist about Ilhan Omar, about her race, do you imagine that it would only be black members of Congress who would say something? Or it would be every member of the Democratic caucus that said something? But Ilhan Omar, every couple of weeks, she has to set that, just to set that calendar, days since anti-Semitic accident, back to zero. Every couple of, every couple of weeks. And only Jews signed the statement. There wasn't a single major Democrat, or minor Democrat as far as I'm aware, who is not Jewish, who even expressed sympathy for this statement. Which is kind of incredible. Basically, they're saying if you're a Jewish Democrat, you are on your own because anti-Semitism is not part of the intersectional coalition. Jews are not part of the intersectional coalition. And this has been true in progressive circles for quite a while. You'll remember that just a few years back, there was something called the Chicago Dyke March, right, which was an LGBT march in Chicago. And they banned people from flying a flag with the Star of David on it because Jews are not part of the intersectional coalition. BLM has openly endorsed the the terrorist activities of Hamas in the Gaza Strip. I know that we're supposed to pretend that they were just supporting, quote-unquote, the Palestinians, but they weren't, okay? They have openly acknowledged that they wish to see Israel disappear. BLM, I mean, this was in their original manifesto. They talk about liberating Palestine, which really does mean getting rid of Israel from the, from the river to the sea. And when they say they support the, quote-unquote, Palestinians in the middle of a Hamas-Gaza versus Israel rocket war, it's pretty obvious what they are talking about. They're really not trying to hide the ball very hard here. Plus, if you go to any of these BLM rallies, they'll actually have, like, full anti-Semitic signs up there. So the intersectional coalition does not welcome Jews, and so the Jews in the Democratic Party are on their own right here. So here is the statement they put out about Ilhan Omar equating Israel and Hamas, which, by the way, again, is only part of what she said. She also added states in the Taliban, which is, again, typical Ilhan Omar. She's consistently suggesting the United States is a massive human rights violator akin to terrorist groups, because this is what she does. And then, of course, she laughs about 9-11 on occasion. She's really a, a wonder and a joy. Amazing that, that we have such great Congress people in the United States. She tweeted out, equating the United States and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban is as offensive as it is misguided. This is, this is what the, the Jewish Democrats put out. Ignoring the differences between democracies governed by the rule of law and contemptible organizations that engage in terrorism at best discredits one's intended argument, and at worst reflects deep-seated prejudice. The United States and Israel are imperfect, and like all democracies at times deserving of critique, but false equivalencies give cover to terrorist groups. We urge Congresswoman Omar to clarify her words, placing the U.S. and Israel in the same category as Hamas and the Taliban. Clarify. Right, so they didn't, they didn't condemn her. They didn't just say, this is gross. They could have ended this before the last sentence, right? They didn't. Instead, they said, we'll give you a way out. Just clarify. And we will pretend you didn't mean what you very obviously meant since you said it over and over and over. All you have to do is clarify just a little bit. So here is how Ilhan Omar originally clarified. She originally clarified by accusing the Democrats in her own party of Islamophobia. Because this is what she is, right? She is a person who is viciously anti-Semitic, and if you criticize her, then she claims that you are anti-Muslim in some way. No, I'm just against people who are anti-Semitic, actually, as it turns out. There are many Muslims who are not. Elhan Omar is not one of them. There are many Muslims who are 
Very pro-America. Ilhan Omar in her rhetoric certainly is not. They were allowed to criticize Ilhan Omar without it being quote-unquote Islamophobic. But this is the... You, you want to know why in the wake of all of these acts of Jew hatred that we saw on the streets of New York and Miami and Los Angeles and Chicago in the last few weeks, in the wake of that, all the Democrats were tweeting out about Islamophobia? Because what Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and company and the Intersectional Coalition have succeeded in doing is they have succeeded in suggesting that if you call out anti-Semitism, this is an act of Islamophobia. Which, by the way, is slanderous towards Muslims. Because it turns out that Muslims don't actually have to be anti-Semitic. If the claim is that you calling out anti-Semitism is inherently Islamophobic, what you are actually saying is that Islam is, is anti-Semitic. Which, again, there are many, many, many millions of Muslims who are not anti-Semitic. In any case, here's Ilhan Omar. She tweeted out, right, this is her clarification, original clarification. She tweeted out, it's shameful for colleagues who call me when they need my support to now put out a statement asking for clarification and not just call. The Islamophobic tropes in this statement are offensive. Where are the Islamophobic tropes? Seriously, where? What, can she name them? Notice, notice the game she's playing right here. So the anti-Semitic tropes she's used in the past include that the Jews hypnotize the world and that Jewish money controls American Congress. Right, those are actual anti-Semitic tropes. There's not a single Islamophobic trope in that entire statement, but she's accusing her colleagues of Islamophobia. The constant... So that's, um, Elon Omar. Elon Omar is crazy, she's radical leftist, and I never liked her. Um... Alright, let's play this. With ADP, you can turn workforce data into insights to build teams that work as teams. One of the major areas of focus for this day of the summit has been Joe Biden's Build Back Better World Agreement, which the other G7 nations have signed up to. It's designed to rival China's Belt and Road Infrastructure Plan, which sees money spent all around the world. What the countries have agreed to do is, again, spend money on infrastructure projects around the globe in developing countries. And Joe Biden sees that as a rival to one of the Beijing power plays around the world. Lots of questions remain about it, though, how much funding it will have, exactly how enthusiastic other G7 nations are about it as well. And then the other side of the talks today, apart from foreign policy and apart from challenging China, has been around health and the leaders have been signing up to a declaration which they say will prevent future pandemics and will make sure that if one does arise then vaccines and treatments can be rolled out within a hundred days of such a new disease being discovered. Ali, they keep on talking about climate change, which is a little concerning because without China, Russia and India and Africa on board, it really doesn't matter. But yesterday they all went to the sort of biodome thing. What was that all about? Yeah, the Biodome, the Eden Project, is a, an ecological project in uh, Cornwall here in southwestern England. It's also a tourist attraction, and I think uh, it was used as a place from which uh, the message could be conveyed that G7 nations are, as you say, committed, they say, to uh, dealing with climate change. There have been climate protests, though, here in Cornwall, as the summit's been ongoing, because climate activists here on the other side of the coin say that not enough is being done by G7 nations and not enough is done, being done quickly enough. So from both sides, G7 nations are being criticized on their stance on climate change, but certainly the leaders here say that they do want to commit to what they call ambitious targets, and that is ahead of the COP26 climate summit, which is more global and which is held also here in the UK in November. 
Ali, it, it appears that the White House is, is really trying to put a focus on China, but the Europeans are very cautious about pushing back too hard. I, is that going to make a unified approach coming out of this meeting impossible? It certainly makes it harder. I think that the G7 leaders who are here are so keen to stress unity and resolve and show that democracies can work together to combat challenges like China, that the words will be very positive. They will all say they agree, they'll all try and talk about uh, coming out of the summit with a similar stance, but there's no doubt that behind the scenes there are divisions. That Build Back Better World project from Joe Biden, as I say, remains to be seen how much funding and enthusiasm comes from some of the European countries, for example. We know that the US and UK are now pretty much aligned when it comes to it. But some of those the European countries that are here in Cornwall are less so and do want to be uh, a little bit kinder to the Chinese than perhaps the Americans and the British are minded to be a little bit uh, less provocative and bellicose when it comes to their position on Beijing. On that infrastructure package, Ali, do we have any sense of how big it is and what the U.S. share of that would be? Yeah, that's the real question about the Build Back Better World, or B3W as it's being known. The White House is trumpeting it as a major challenge to Chinese dominance in terms of infrastructure projects around the world and spending to try and boost influence. But it really isn't clear how much funding there is for it, uh, how much, where the funding is coming from, exactly going to be uh, forthcoming. And as I say, some questions about the enthusiasm of some of the G7 nations here who are signing up to this agreement. So I think it's one that we won't really know whether it's got any bite, any teeth for some time, and it won't be clear exactly who's paying for it for some time either. Okay. All right. Where the FBI was able to cover... All right, moving on now. Let's go to Washington, where the FBI was able to cover over $2.3 million worth of Bitcoin from the dark side Russian terrorist group that hacked the Colonial Pipeline last month. This affected gas prices throughout the country. Joining us now to talk more about this is the former deputy assistant to the president for counterterrorism and the former chief of staff to the acting secretary of defense, Cash Patel. Back with us on the show. Nice to see you, Cash. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's our pleasure. Um, I, I'm wondering... Two things. Why do you think these cyber attacks are happening so often right now? And shouldn't terrorism and cyber terrorism really be classified as the same thing? Yeah, great question. So, look, the cyber attacks are unfortunately happening because our our, our enemies like Russia and China see an opportunity in the weakness in the Biden administration's national security policy. And the Colonial Pipeline is just the latest example of cyber terrorism, as you say. To me, as a former terrorism prosecutor and the head of counterterrorism for a White House, there's no distinction. Terrorism is terrorism, whether you're doing it online or whether you're doing it in person. There is zero space for distinction, and it should be treated as a threat to America's national security. And look what happened when they just attacked one pipeline. It shut down the gas pipeline to a large portion of the United States and skyrocketed prices. Imagine if they did that to our electrical grid, which would also be cyber terrorism or multiple pipelines. So there needs to be a firmer response from the Biden administration on all acts of terrorism. Yeah, the messaging around terrorism was, if you do this and you hurt American people, we, we, we will find you and we will kill you. Uh, at the very least, and the messaging was very clear. With something like this, think about this, if they, if they shut down our power grid, that could cost lives. The messaging, although it might sound harsh, should be the exact same. If you hurt the American people, we will find you. 
and we will kill you. Um, the U.S. Deputy Attorney General was just talking about this problem and how it continues to get worse. Take a listen. The threat of severe ransomware attacks pose a clear and present danger to your organization, to your company, to your customers, to your shareholders, and to your long-term success. So pay attention now. Invest resources now. All right, so she's speaking at the Justice Department there. Clearly, America's falling behind. Why is the Department of Homeland Security, though, doing more to make sure our cyber networks are safe? Well, here's the thing, right? And, and that's a great point. The Department of Homeland Security is supposed to work in conjunction with the FBI, which is part of the Department of Justice. Right. And unfortunately, what happens is you get into a contest uh, between national security issues such as cyber warfare and cyber terrorism, and you have people run to the camera to take credit for uh, a problem that should never have happened, such as the attack on the Colonial Pipeline. And then you have a voice such as the Department of Homeland Security drowned out by the Department of Justice. What they should be doing is teaming up together, appearing at the podium together with the Homeland Secretary and the Attorney General, because this is a national security issue. It's not something to be handled by the number two of one separate agency, as you said. And this is part of the problem that we are seeing exposed in the Biden administration's national security agenda. You said it correctly, terrorism is terrorism, and it's the number one security threat to America, and it needs to be met head on. And right now, it is not being met head on. And I'd like to add one more thing. What is the FBI doing assisting a private company uh, to re re recover a ransom payment? That begs the question to, to me, did the Biden administration and the government and, the, and our government know that a ransom payment was being made? And did they have anything to do with it? Because our policy has always been we do not pay ransom to terrorists. Huh, that's a good point. This on the heels of uh, next week's meeting, President Biden scheduled to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin next Wednesday. Uh, do you think the meeting should still happen? Do we really expect Putin to hold any of these Russian hackers accountable for anything? <laughs> no, they're probably Putin's friends who are getting rich off right. us, uh, from this nonsense. I do think the meeting should still happen because the leaders of the free world um, should meet, and I'm not saying Putin's the leader of our free world, but he just happens to be the leader of Russia and one of our largest enemies. So they should engage, but I don't see the strength coming from the Biden administration. I mean, look what he's been able to do since Joe Biden's been in office to America's uh, security infrastructure. Uh, a meeting one-on-one uh, -on -one with him uh, is only going to show Putin's strength and allow him a national podium to say that Russia is taking advantage of the United States. So unfortunately, I don't think Biden has the backbone to take on uh, a Vladimir Putin, but I really hope uh, that he proves me wrong and you can call me out on it on your show after the meeting. Yeah, we'll have you back on. I just think the timing of this meeting is so bizarre. Why these attacks would still happen on the heels of a meeting like this? Because obviously that moves this topic to the front of the line as, as far as topics to address with the Russian president. I want to talk about Dr. Fauci for a moment. Uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy addressed that email situation. Take a listen to what he had to say. You've got to trust the individuals to look into this. Hundreds of thousands of Americans have died. And if you've taken every certain position in it, how are you able to come back with the trust of the nation to get to the bottom of it? All right, so what do you think? How long can Dr. Anthony Fauci last in his current position? Well, here's the thing, right? It's just another extension of the Biden administration's national security policy. What did Trump do? We're going to do the opposite. Trump called out Dr. Fauci, and rightly so. Look, I was the principal deputy to Rick Grinnell when he was director of national intelligence. Right. Our job was to produce the presidential daily briefing. 
And in February of 2020, we briefed the president on the sensitive, explicit intelligence surrounding the origins of the COVID outbreak. And so that information intelligence is not new. They don't need to do another assessment to see what happened and what our best guesstimate is on that intelligence. And government officials used to be held accountable when they lied to the American public or misled a White House. And it seems that if you did it under President Trump and survived into the Biden administration, you get a hall pass. And Kevin McCarthy um, is absolutely right. And the House Intelligence Committee and Congress in oversight should be looking into whether or not he misled the American people on the global plague that surrounded our uh, country for the last year and a half and shut down our economy. Yeah, Cash, I, I just think that, it, I think the American people, many are having a difficult time coming to terms with the fact that maybe Dr. Fauci has been dishonest. Maybe it appears, uh, based on some of these emails, that that is the case. And I think people are struggling with that because this man was beloved and trusted for the better part of a year and a half. And, and now that, that you know, we're, we're finding out information that suggests that, that he may have been uh, dishonest, he may have been lying. Anybody else, by the way, they'd already be gone because it's Dr. <laughs> Fauci. He's still in his role. Uh, Cash Patel, look forward to having you back on next week after the, uh, the president meets with the uh, Russian president. Thanks so much for making the time for us this morning. Thank you very much. All right. They don't. The fake news doesn't get it. All I can say is that All I can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it. They don't. This time, it's all about Trump. They want Trump out. Listen to this. Ah, the sweet. Antifa rioters, radical BLM. All right, we have some breaking news for you. Former President Trump just releasing a statement saying in part, thank you to the Department of Interior Inspector General for completely and totally exonerating me in the clearing of Lafayette Park. Now, keep in mind, this is coming from a former President Trump, as, long, as we have said all along, and it was backed up in today's highly detailed and professionally written report. Our fine park police made the decision to clear the park to allow a contractor to safely install anti-scale fencing to protect from Antifa rioters, radical BLM. 
BLM protesters and other violent demonstrators who are causing chaos and death to our cities in this instant. They tried burning down the church the day before the clearing. Fortunately, we were there to stop the fire from spreading beyond the basement, and it was our great honor and privilege to do so. Again, thank you to the Inspector General, and that is a statement that came from a former President Trump. Yeah, and, and this, uh, by the way, a lot of people have criticized the President for what he, uh, people were claiming that the Attorney General had cleared the area so he could go take a picture in front of the church with the Bible, but they're saying their conclusion is that that, that that clearing process is going on for other reasons, and that is not what it was for. Uh, so that, that's why we let you know that that's going on uh, and that statement from the former president. Hey, I'm Rob Finnerty. Thanks for watching. When I was a kid, this was such a beautiful song. It took America by storm, the world actually. Paul McCartney, Stevie Wonder, Ebony and Ivory living in perfect harmony. I know it sounds naive, it sounds very simplistic, but it was beautiful, and back then at least, it was uh, oh, a lot more true than it is today. I love this. And they also say in the song, people are the same wherever you go. There is good and bad in everyone. Made perfect sense to me as a kid in 1982, but that's not the case anymore. No. There is a good group and a bad group, and right now, white people are at the bottom of the heap for all the terrible things they've done over the years. White people are very superior at their privilege and utilizing it. All white people benefit from white privilege. White privilege filters in, it stems from white supremacy. White women have taken an active role in the maintenance of white supremacy. You know, it's just the hypocrisy and the white supremacy in America and in the world that would show us portraits of a, a pasty white Jesus. To be white in so many ways is to be raised, to be functionally illiterate on the topic of race. It's laughable, but not really anymore, because these ridiculous views are becoming more and more prevalent from white people, people of color, everybody on the left, and even in the middle, they're saying this stuff, and they're going along with it. White people are the oppressors, and black and brown people, they're both very beautiful, they're cooler than white people, and they're victims. But it specifically is hitting black and brown communities quite hard. And the present day manifestations of their work can still be seen in black and brown communities like the one I go home to. Which critics say would unfairly impact black and brown communities. It is about um, black and brown communities. I think activists would say helped especially black and brown people. Powerful entities have less regard for the lives of black people, for the lives of brown people, for the lives of poor people, and for the lives of those who are less educated because these people lack political power. Now, why are we hearing so much of this? Uh, there's a lot going on culturally, but a big factor is Trump. He did better with people of color than any Republican in history, and that scared the hell out of the Democrats. A little snapshot of what's going on here in America. How about overseas in England, the G7 and uh, the fake news? They are just totally delighted that the world leaders do not have to put up with Donald Trump anymore. This is us, Biden. President Biden brings to 
traditional American diplomacy back to the world stage, why other G7 leaders are describing him as a breath of fresh air as he seeks to reset relations with America's closest allies. You know why they're really uh, happy that Donald Trump is no longer there? Because this guy, they can roll. This guy, take advantage of. He doesn't know anything about negotiations. He doesn't know anything about anything. He knows how to raise money and do favors and ask for favors. That's it. That's it. Take a look at Donald Trump when he was at the G7. Did this guy look like somebody who was defending our interests and sticking up for us? Yes, and that's what you want out of a leader, out of an American leader. This is kind of sad. The breath of fresh air they were talking about, that's uh, 78, 79-year-old mm. Joe Biden. And he looked every bit his age today as he um, seemed to get lost in the cafeteria. How are your meetings going in Cornwall, Mr. President? How are your meetings going here in Cornwall? You hear Jill Biden, Jill, Dr. Jill, um, is grabbing Joe to go bye-bye, let's go, let's go, and they're laughing. Did that look presidential? That looked pretty sad. Why was Jill rushing him out of there? They said Donald Trump wasn't presidential. He was, by the way, but I don't know. Those white sneakers are not helping Joe. What a weird setting. What a weird guy. All right, but it was uh, down to business. All right, they all sit at a table and uh, talk mm. about the world. Is this why it's such a breath of fresh air? They're all talking like a bunch of woke weirdos. We're building back better together. And, and building back greener. And building back fairer. And building back more equal. And uh, how shall I? More, in, in, in a more gender... Building back better, building back more and more and more and more blah 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 blah. Sounds stupid, doesn't it? Neutral and perhaps like a more feminine way. How about that? Apart from anything else. So uh, those are some of the objectives. What happened to Boris? Huh? If he said that in front of Trump, he would have laughed and. Such crazy Boris. What did you just say? What did you say? I don't you think say, he would have tried that. Boris, that's crazy. You're the worst guy in the world. You're fired. I I don't like you. You're stupid. You're fake news, and it's terrible guy. He's a rhino, just so you know. In front of uh, a President Trump. Anyway, gender neutral. Do we want that back here in America? They really want that in Loudoun County. Have you heard about this? His name is Tanner Cross, a gym teacher. Guess what? He's a man of faith. Guess what? He's a man of science. And he doesn't think that boys should be called girls and girls should be called boys. And he's got a lot of uh, questions when it comes to transgender. He thinks it's being pushed a little bit too aggressively. He got up and he said so. And he said he's going to use appropriate pronouns. He's going to use boy, he for a boy. And he's going to use her and she for a girl. Sounds reasonable, right? How about that? That sounds so stupid. Right? They fired him. They actually suspended him and tried to fire him. Uh, he got his job back. He's back on the job, and we think that's terrific. A judge said, hold the phone. This can't happen. This has all gone down very recently. The superintendent down there in Loudoun County is disappointed that this guy is back on the job and gave his thoughts on uh, 
Matters Gender, today on MSNBC. Our transgender students are out there and they want to be affirmed and welcomed in our school as well. And a lot of times they're scared to come forward because they're still uh, closeted or still transitioning. And so we want to respect their privacy, but their parents are coming. And, uh, you know, we know that there are parents who have said child's teacher refuses to use their preferred pronouns. I don't want my child being taught by that student, by that teacher. So, you know, there's a lot involved in this. Um, and again, we just put put it back on the students and doing what's best for students in every way that we can. Yes, there is a lot involved in this. Uh, politically correct games. So a young girl doesn't want to be called a girl. She wants her own pronoun. It's ridiculous, and you can't force a person to engage in that. You can't force a teacher to go along with this far-left woke language. You can't do it. That's what a judge has ruled so far. The greatest critic of this, by the way, this compelled speech, is Jordan Peterson. Have you heard of him? He's fantastic. He's a professor from the University of Toronto. He's become very famous over the past few years because he's he's so smart and he's so brave. They tried to... Yeah. That's the uh, stupidness. All right. Now this. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews has announced he'll return to work later this month. In a Twitter post, the Premier says he's been cleared by doctors to resume work on June 28. Daniel Andrews has been covering up breaking several ribs and a vertebra after falling at a holiday home three months ago. He's thanked Victoria and well wishes and says he's looking forward to returning to work. I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. I would never say in your case that you're fired because you're doing too well. So I'll just say you're hired. You're a spectacular guy. You have a long way to go. Happy birthday. Tomorrow's Donald Trump's birthday. Happy birthday to Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States, which I call him still president of the United States. Remarkable guy. Donald Trump will be turning guess which age 74 Donald Trump yes Donald J Trump the man that we love everyone should wear their MAGA gear tomorrow because tomorrow is the man's the man's birthday. He's turning 70. Oh, no. He's turning 75 tomorrow, actually. MAGA is turning 75. <clears throat> yep. He's already 74 right now. But he's turning 75 tomorrow. And he was born on June 14th, 1946. How about that? So, we wish happy birthday to... Donald J. Trump. Let's play 
a song in honor of him. This is in honor of Donald Trump's birthday tomorrow, 75th birthday, happy birthday Donald J. Trump. Man, oh man, it feels so good to hear that song over and over again, playing it, especially seeing it by the rallies, remembering the rallies, oh man, um, I've never been to a rally, by the way, God willing, I'll go to a rally, get the feeling of a Trump rally, man, oh man, a 75-year-old president that is going to be a 75-year-old guy that actually is going to be well, that is well, that had COVID, still doing well, here we go, that is doing well and fighting. Donald J. Trump is now President of the United States. Donald J. Trump is now President of the United States. Man, oh man, you'll hear that tomorrow from the left. They don't want Donald Trump to be president. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if your state needs a mask, if your school needs a mask, my, my theory is get your MAGA mask on and also wear the MAGA hat proudly. And say Donald Trump's birthday is today. And I support Donald Trump. And also say. We Republicans. Support the conservatism. We support Donald Trump. So that's the uh, latest on Donald Trump. More news about Donald Trump. Here we go. Donald Trump is working uh, really hard on something. What is that? He says that um, he's working on a new post talking about he was offered two book deals from the most unlikely publishers. He dropped a bomb at the end <coughs> excuse me, um, of the statement where he said he's working on this something more important right now is um, speculation Immediately ran wild. See it here. He said, I turned down two book deals from most unlikely publishers in that I do not want to do such a, de a deal right now. I'm writing the like crazy anyway. However, and when 
the time comes, you'll see the book. All of all books, actually. I've been working on a much more important project right now. So what's that project? What is that project? He says, I would say returning to office would be much bigger. I'd rather, I'd say overturning the, um, certain stuff would be better. And certain other stuff would be better. And Donald Trump is, what is he really working hard on? We don't know. But I have some speculations. Either his social media platform or working hard on certain stuff that we will know very soon. Yup, that's the latest on Donald Trump. Meanwhile, a third grader was forced to remove her mask. Harris said during the vice presidential. So people love to wear uh, slogans and expressions on their masks. I've seen a million Black Lives Matter masks. They're very popular with some folks. How about this? I'm speaking. It's something that Kamala Harris said during the vice presidential debate. People like that. Uh, here's another mask with a beautiful message. Jesus loves me. What could be wrong with that? Well, for the administrators of a certain elementary school in Mississippi, it was a big problem. That is Lydia Booth. She is a third grader, and back in October, she was sent to the principal's office when she was wearing this mask. They told her to take it off, saying that it violates school policy. Well, this has become a major deal right now. I think that sounds pretty unfair to me, but let's get into it with Lydia Booth. She is the third grader, along with her mom, Jennifer Booth. <laughs> Welcome to you both. And we also have your lawyer, uh, Tyson you. Langhofer, uh, senior counsel at the Alliance Defending Freedom. Welcome to you all. Uh, nice Thank to see you. you. Thank you. So, Lydia, Thank first you to you. Nice to oh, absolutely. You. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Lydia, tell us a little bit about uh, what happened to you. Well, um... This mask I had said, Jesus loves me, and in the beginning of school, nobody said anything about it. Well, later on, um, the computer teacher said I couldn't wear that type of mask. You hear that? Now, I wear political masks ever since the election. Trump 2020, Trump 2024, MAGA, Keep America Great, again. Save America. And I also wear Blue Lives Matter mask. Someone came over to me, actually, during the holiday of the Sukkot, Sukkot and said, Take that mask off. I'm like, this was during the hype of the pandemic, by the way. Um, and this was before I had COVID. I get in his face, take my mask off, and I say, dude, you're not wearing a mask. If you don't want me to wear this mask, shut up now. Because you're a huge idiot, because you don't know anything about Trump. If you don't know Trump about how much I know about Trump, 
We can speak. And that's what I did to him. I spoke to him for an hour. And I got in his face. And I said. People like this. Who want my ma- Who doesn't like. People's political opinions. Are unfortunately. Um. are unfortunately stupid. It's like, it's like, um, what we had in, um, back, remember back in the day, what we used to agree, when we used to agree on opinions with the left and right. When we have that, can we have that at least? No, we can't, because the left says, Oh, if you don't agree with us, you're you're canceled. Well, that's what the that's what uh, the that's what we have with um, my my thing and this girl. They're suing the uh, the school out in uh, India, and they should. I I would say so because. A person should never, never be uh, forced to take off a mask because they don't like the school does not like a uh, that the words on their mask. Listen, I have certain opinions of masks. I don't like um, certain masks, but I respect it. I want to go over to a Black Lives Matter person. That said, that has the words "Black Lives Matter" on a mask. I wouldn't go say, "Take that mask off." I wouldn't say that. I respect them. I want to go to a um, a Muslim dude who's wearing a hijab and say, "Take that hijab off." I wouldn't do that. I respect all nationalities, um, and I respect all. Words and opinions and views of whatever whatever says on your mask, I respect. But I have certain views and opinions um, for myself. Like I I have my mask that says "Make America Great Again." I also have "Keep America Great Again," "Save America," and "Blue Lives Matter." Now, if a person comes over to me and says, um, I don't like that mask, I say to them, okay, that's your opinion. If you'd like to talk to me about why you don't want, why you don't like it, I can sit here for an hour and talk to you about it. Surely enough, I've spoken to people about it, and they still don't get why I love they surely don't know why I wear that mask I said several times I said several times because I support Donald Trump and I support America and everyone should have a right they have a right of opinions and views of their own feelings I'm not I'm not saying that 
I'm not saying that um, the left is people are wrong or right. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that people have rights to voice their opinions. In this example, this woman um, had a Jesus loves me mask. And she said her, her opinion is that God loves me. What's wrong with that? To, bring, to wear a mask in school like that. What's wrong with that? For, I'll give you another example. I have a, a hat that, said, that says, my, my, Thank you, Hashem, which is the God of the Jewish people. Um, it says, Thank you, Hashem. Both sides. The lo- a logo that says, Thank you, Hashem. Now is that is that um is that um not appropriate to bring to school either public school or private school? That's my question. Now do I, if I wear a maga hat will that be appropriate to bring to school? Probably not. What about a uh, sahal hat to bring to a public school? There's different types of views that I know when to bring to certain things when to bring certain stuff to certain places like for example I I would never walk into my work with a MAGA mask because I am under contract saying that um, no political stuff in work but we're allowed to speak about it. But we're allowed to voice our opinions, but not wear it out. Like we're not wear, allowed to wear a MAGA mask or even a hat. I respect it, but I am a little upset about it because I'd rather voice my opinion and say that America is in destruction now. I have opinions and views. <coughs> excuse me, that people may not agree about. And it's really upsetting. So that's the um, whole stuff. Back to what I was saying about the thank you Hashem. I would have to wear, I would have to either wear my thank you Hashem cap or even, um, or even, a Sahal hat. If I went to, if I went to a um, trying to think of a place where it's not common to wear a Hebrew lettering um, hat, like New York City, or even um, you find it common in New York City that people wear. Um, Sahal hats, Yankees caps. What about MAGA? In, I would never see a MAGA cap. I walked into my dentist um, one time. I haven't been to New York City since, um, let's say, January, February, like February time. Because I, I'm scared of New York City, of the crime rates. I go to New York City because um, of my dentist. 
I'm been. I have to go soon. Um, because I'm due for appointment. I know. I myself. But I'm looking for one. For, uh, closer. Um, but whatever. But if... If I wore a MAGA hat... Or even MAGA mask in New York City... In the subway... You know how much hate I would get? <coughs> um, my my producer's like, can we stop, please? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's like, he's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. <clears throat> but this is crazy that how much hate I would get um, by going on a subway with a MAGA hat, MAGA mask, and it's going on. Literally, we have it. I was riding my bike, um, oh, here's another story, I was riding my bike, actually, um, in, uh, my town, and, um, I was wearing, I had my mask in my pocket, the only mask was a MAGA mask, I have other masks, and I was gonna go, I was going into the store, lock up my bike, and this guy says to me, sir, you're, you're wearing, you're not wearing your mask properly, I said, yes, I am. And I say, I go inside, and he follows me around. I'm like, why are you following me? He says, you're not wearing, I'm not, I'm not doing, I say to him, I'm not doing anything. I'm trying to buy my, my items. And I buy my items, and he, he says, I don't like your mask. I'm like, if you don't like my mask, you stop following me for once. Luckily, there was a cop there, and he, I spoke to the cop, and just dealt with him. They dealt with him and said, I went my way, and he went his way. That's so, there are stupid people out there who, who just are really bored. And just doesn't, and just really wants you canceled. That's the, that's the stuff. Just gross, people. Really gross. Next. Firstly, I asked um, Professor Sutton this yesterday. Mm. Are you? How are you feeling? Are you feeling anxious about this opening up? No, no. I'm. I'm, look, I'm, I'm feeling really confident that we've got a, an exceptionally good grip of the of the of the outbreaks that we can see, of the positive cases that are out there, of the primary close contacts. All the uh, the momentum and the speed at which we're collectively operating, I'm very confident about. Uh, until about three days ago, I was really confident about testing numbers. I think I'm a little bit concerned that testing numbers are starting to drop. Uh, and I would, I think, whilst we're still dealing with new cases emerging, I would really encourage people to help us keep those testing numbers up. That'll give us the best feel that we're getting a good cross-section of people coming forward. Um, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm always concerned when you see new cases coming up. The, the conversation we were having five, six days ago was around primary close contacts turning positive, day 13 tests coming back positive, that's well within our control, but there are no dramas around that. But whilst we see new cases coming up, there'll always be an area for concern. Now there's something very sinister going on in my home state of South Australia at the moment. Adelaide may have been named the third most livable city in the world last week, but it's apparently the wrong place to be a conservative Christian. The South Australian Liberal Party has, en masse,
denied the memberships of everyone who applied to join the party in the past month, about 150 people, and sent 400 more members show cause notices. Basically, they have to justify why they shouldn't be kicked out of the Liberal Party. Now, these people have committed no crime, apart from being Pentecostal Christians. And I'm no great fan of Pentecostal churches. It's all a bit happy clapper for mine. But if conservative Christians cannot find a home in the Liberal Party, indeed they are forcefully expelled from the Liberal Party, where can they find a home? The message would seem to be clear. If you are a conservative or you're a Christian, the Liberal Party does not want you. Imagine if the Liberal Party rejected the memberships of 150 Muslims because it didn't like the look of their religion. I'm sure the lefties would have to practice some cognitive dissonance, but there would be outrage, and rightly so. But why has all this happened? Well, the South Australian Liberal Party is almost entirely run by the moderates. Bit by bit, they have taken control of every facet of the party. They run the State Council, uh, the State Executive, they run the Women's Council. There are almost no Conservatives left in the Parliamentary Liberal Party in SA, and that's just the beginning. But as a result of this, SA's Liberal Government, which, by the way, is the first Liberal Government in this state in nearly two decades. There were 16 years of Labor Government before they were elected in 2016, 2018, sorry, which you would think would give them some impetus to actually do something genuinely conservative and liberal for this state. Absolutely not. They've pursued a socially left-wing agenda without any consequences. Now, this government introduced and passed legislation that allows for late-term abortions if having the child might be detrimental to the mother's mental health. Not the typical fare of a Liberal government, you wouldn't have thought. Members of this government last week overwhelmingly backed pro-euthanasia laws. So Senator Alex Antic, a Liberal senator for South Australia, a Conservative, went out to largely Pentecostal Christian communities and told them, if you're not happy with the way this government is going, sign up to the party and make a difference. And fair enough, participate in democracy. Now, partly as a result of that, but also for other reasons that I'll explain in a minute, about 500 new members have signed up to the Liberal Party in SA this year. The membership of the party is somewhere around 5,000 people, which means those 500 new members, which would equate you know, to about 10%, present a significant threat to the ruling moderates. 500 new Conservatives, they don't want that. So the party's executive has used the most serious powers it has to try to stack the deck and kick them off. They ran them, obviously, and they worked out they were in trouble. <coughs> Women's Council is coming up. They're worried they'll take that, and there is State Council in just a week. Now, this is undemocratic, but even worse, it is open religious discrimination. The party will try to tell you that it's because some new members have spoken out again. Please, that is rubbish. If that were the case, You'd expel those who broke the rules, not 500 people who happen to be conservatives who threaten your factional power. And not all of these people, by the way, are Pentecostal Christians, and not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, they've booted out anyone who's applied in the past month, and that includes publicans and businessmen who are unhappy with the ongoing coronavirus restrictions in this state. They want to open up the pubs to 100%. No, 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 Liberal government, we can't do that. And these people, quite understandably, are livid. 
Liberal MP Nicole Flint, who is a good friend of this program, has called this the most extraordinary and undemocratic act she has seen in politics. Senator Antic, as you will see in a minute when he joins us, isn't holding back on this. And plenty of other Liberals are privately outraged. One senior South Australian Liberal told me yesterday <coughs> that this would start an internal war in the Liberals to split the party in half, which is exactly what they need nine months out from a state election. There is now talk of legal action to stop mass expulsion. But if this goes unchecked, this expulsion of Conservatives, the consequences could be dire. This is the Liberal Party trying to silence Conservatives and silence Christians. They want to stop you and me from having a voice. Banish people from this country's foremost Conservative Party for being, would you believe it, Conservative. If the Liberal Party can get away with that, what else can they get away with? Meanwhile, over in Israel, the president is slated to vote on a new governing... The final thing I'll just say in terms of, um, you know, just, just thinking about, you know, the convalescent plasma, I mean, we really need to look to see uh, what was going on with some of these bureaucrats with the response in terms of COVID, with how they treated things like hydroxychloroquine. I mean, it's not normal. A guy had doctor, he thought it was helpful, so we got it. Some disagreed, but it was almost like this concerted effort to, like, not not allow that to be discussed. And now you've seen different research reports that, you know, that, that it may well have been beneficial. Why was there such um, a, a movement to squelch any inquiry about this leaking from the lab in Wuhan, which last year they, they called you a conspiracy theorist if you said that it leaked? Now we look at it, and, and that's the overwhelming evidence um, is that it came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So there's been a lot of issues, um, I think, along the way uh, that were not addressed well uh, by a lot of these bureaucracies. And the question is, is you know, we need to do better next time, but we got to recognize some of the problems that occurred. And if we don't, people are not going to have confidence um, in, in listening to a lot of the folks. I mean, those Fauci emails. You know, if you read some of this stuff and how different that was than what he was saying in public, um, you know, really is, uh, I think, very, very problematic. And it's not, you know, I know we get into these political stuff with some of this stuff in the here and now, and, and that we should, that's fine. But, I mean, thinking long term, that is not the way we want to be doing it. We should not be sending money to China to do this you know, function research. I mean, this is just something that is creating super viruses in, in some lab that's, very much involved with the Chinese military. Why would you be doing that? I mean, it makes no sense, and obviously the results have been. All this stuff along the way, I think there were a lot of things uh, where you kind of had the democracy and, and WHO and some of these other groups, you know, that they, they went all in on some of these theories, um, and it turns out, uh, you know, they really weren't accurate with what they were trying to do. And so I think there needs to be a full investigation. We need to identify the origins of this virus, but then we also have to uh, have an evaluation of <coughs> some of the, the response from the... From so that's Ron DeSantis. Meanwhile... Hey, how did the Statue of Liberty get there? Oh wait, that's not the Statue of Liberty. This statue is more like her little sister. Standing just over nine feet tall, Little Lady Liberty is 16 times smaller than the Statue of Liberty that has welcomed immigrants to the United States since she was gifted from France in 
ones. The two statues truly are sister. The smaller statue is one of 11 that were created using an original cast used to make the New York version of the Statue of Liberty. And just like the older Lady Liberty, this little sister is also headed to America. As we reopen after COVID, it's great that Lady Liberties can be one of the first Voyagers travelers back to, to the United States. A band played and speeches were given to send the nine-foot statue to her new home. She is being packed up and shipped across the Atlantic, following the path of the Statue of Liberty that stands near Ellis Island in order to be on U.S. soil in time for the 4th of July. This is a really important ceremony to remind us of the strong links with France. After meeting her big sis, Little Lady Liberty will settle in Washington, D.C. at the French Embassy for the next 10 years. For Inside Edition Digital, I'm T.C. Newman. How about that? That sounds amazing. <clears throat> Meanwhile... It's not the first time Marine One has landed on the lawns at Windsor, but for the Bidens, it was the beginning of a moment that they will never forget. The Queen in the quadrangle, ready <laughs> to welcome her guests. Taking his wife's hand, President Biden wanting them to remember this time together. Her Majesty seemed to ask if they were okay after their journey as they stepped up to hear their national anthem. Biden behind his sunglasses, beaming with pride. There appeared to be a few words of advice from the Queen before the President was led off to inspect the guard. The smile rarely fading as he carried out his ceremonial duties. The pageantry really cementing the historic nature of this moment for the Queen's 14th American President. Always welcoming to any of her guests, the Queen seemed particularly chatty. Nobody knows the meaning of all this better than she does. As the military moved on, it was time for probably the most precious moment of private conversation, and after a day in the heat, a much-needed cup of tea. And there's a lot for the President to gain, too. From his entire trip, these are the pictures that will play so well back in the States. Leaving later than expected, Biden said the Queen had asked him about the Chinese president and Vladimir Putin and said she reminded him of his mother. There was a sense of friendships forged with no better place for the president to say farewell, for now at least. And the, the subject of where the coronavirus leaked from came up, it came up in Scott Morrison's press conference yesterday he said to me, I don't know whether it leaked from the lab or it came from natural causes. We're still backing another inquiry into this. So Joe Biden and Boris Johnson at different press conferences were asked about this today. Now, Boris Johnson, Pete, he said that he doesn't think uh, that it was leaked from the lab. He thinks it's more a zoonotic source, but he says he can't say for sure. Joe Biden, a lot more equivocal on it. I do think there's a problem with zoonotic diseases. and This is clearly the, the thing we have to focus on. And it's the, the, the practice that seems to be particularly prevalent in, uh, in, in some parts of, uh, of Asia, Southeast Asia, 
uh, South Asia, of, of, of farming wild animals. That, that, that is uh, really where the, the risks are. Um, at the moment, the advice that we've had is it doesn't look as though this particular disease of zoonotic uh, origin came from a lab. Uh, clearly, uh, anybody sensible would want to keep an open mind. I think China has to start to act uh, more responsibly in terms of international norms on human rights and transparency. Transparency matters across the board. We yeah. don't know. We haven't had access to the laboratories to determine whether or not, and I, I have not reached a conclusion because our intelligence community is not certain yet, whether or not this was a consequence of a, uh, from the marketplace of a bat and, you know, uh, interfacing you know, right, 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 with, with animals in the environment. Teleprompter again. This COVID-19. Yeah, and timely too, Andrew, that uh, our colleague here at Scott, Gary Markson, she had pictures last night uh, on her show of bats in cages. Yep, Joe Biden, man oh man. And he's going to visit Putin this week. What the heck is Putin going to say to Joe Biden? Is he going to roast Joe Biden this week? Let's see. this one it's Donald Trump with Putin and the G7 summit people taking the place where Joe Biden was standing it's a funny one Trump dancing actually it's hilarious you can watch it on YouTube and Putin was actually dancing to it. It's funny. Man, oh man. People are crazy. With memes. <laughs> Officially, Naftali Bennett took the Twitter bio prime minister of Israel. Netanyahu hasn't updated his yet, but. The U.S. President Joe Biden congratulates the prime, new Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, and the rest of new government. The United States remains unwavering in its support for Israel's security, Biden says in a statement today. On behalf of, of the American people, Prime Minister um, Bennett will terminate. Prime Minister, Foreign Minister Yair Lapid and members of the Israeli cabinet. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I look forward to working with Prime Minister Bennett to strengthen and all except of the accepts aspects of the close enduring relationship of our two nations between our two nations and has no better friend than the United States. The bond of unites 
that unites our people is evidence of our shared values and dedicates close cooperation and goes on and on with Biden. Eric Adams went to visit the Lubavitcher in honor of Gimel Tammuz and Naftali Bennett says thank you to Mr. President. Gil Hoffman, the last compress compressions to Trump were wrong. No one stormed the Capitol, and Netanyahu left Hermersha peacefully, if not quarterly. Denmark, here we go. Denmark confirmed Eckerstein suffered a cardiac arrest on pitch against Finland during a, their opening game of Euro 2020. Netanyahu updates his um, page bio to opposition leader and the coup chairman. Bennett and Netanyahu shook hands after the new location coalition confirmed. So that's the latest stuff. <clears throat> so that's the latest news, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get to our stuff. A reminder that Next week is the Sefer Torah, Sefer Torah for the uh, Sephardic Congregation of St. Clifton. Go to thechesedfund.com dash Sefer Torah campaign SCPC. Thechesedfund.com dash Sefer Torah campaign SCPC. Uh, it's next week, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. in the congregation of Havas Israel 181 Van Houten. Um, they're asking everybody to donate. Please donate. Um, it's greatly appreciated. Uh, go to Sephardic. Go to the T-H-E-S, I mean, C-H-E, 
S-E-D-F-U-N-D.com S-E-F-E-R-T-O-R-H Campaign S-C-P-C to donate. Yes. That's the uh, latest on that. Also, um... Um, what else? What else? What else? <coughs> in Clifton, Hispanic sign was at the hookah shop in Clifton, New Jersey. Clifton Hookah in Patterson, actually. Um, it said, Stop the New Nazis, which the picture of a swastik and a um, picture of. Nothing y'all. How ridiculous does that sound? How terrible does that sound? It's terrible. Just stupid people. Every day. Need your can cleaned? Well, go to simplycans.com. Simplycans is a garbage company. Residential trash can cleaning company. Never touch dirty cans again pricing is starting at your monthly rate service 950 each can limited time offer one one cleaning a month each month you can cancel anytime within the 30 days if not satisfied you have tell us which with reason also quarterly pricing is fourteen fifty each can for quarterly. Limited time offer for that one. Custom plans are available. Calling for details for eight call eight six six nine two seven four two two six. You can also book a spe um the super ask about the block special um when you call. Also follow them on YouTube. Simply cans. Instagram and Facebook or go to simplycans.com and book your um, can all right everybody thank you for tuning in hope you enjoy your weekend um, I surely did Surely enjoyed my weekend. Um, and it's it's gonna be a wonderful week this week because President Trump's birthday is tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to it today. I'm really looking forward to Donald Trump's birthday tomorrow. It's just gonna be a wonderful day tomorrow. We'll speak more about. Vladimir Putin's uh, speech with Biden t next week. I'm really interested in that. And how everything is going to go with that. I, I surely think that it's going to go flop like crazy. Um, yeah. Alright everybody, thank you for tuning in. Have a great day.